And uh, the reading uh, that I've chosen is from Matthew's Gospel. I had a wacky thought of um, the reading tonight um, because I really want to read the whole of Matthew's Gospel, but I thought that would be uh, would be here till quite well into tomorrow. Uh, so we're not going to do that. That thought did not last long, um, but. <laughs> But uh, we're going to read a little bit of Matthew. Um, but I'd like, in what I share, just to um, talk a little bit about what Matthew is trying to uh, share with us through his gospel, share with those who first listen to it. And I think understanding sometimes the context of the writer of a book or a gospel or a letter gives you a deeper understanding of what the truth that he is revealing and seeking for you to understand. So, uh, the reading is from Matthew uh, 2, verse 13 to 23. And it kind of cuts in right in the middle of a story. So, bear in mind, the wise men and the magi have just been. Okay? So, that's where we're coming in. Verse 13. When they had gone the wise men, Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until you, until, till I, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel is weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's just pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that we have... Uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament in our own language. And we can read it and we can uh, hear you speaking through it. We can meet with you through the pages of Scripture by the power of your Spirit. And we pray tonight, just as we spend this short time, just thinking and uh, dwelling upon your word, that you'd speak by your Spirit again. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew's gospel, I'm sure you'll know that it, Matthew was a Jew. He was a, one of those first followers of Jesus. 
And to understand Matthew's gospel in its kind of big scope, it's really important to know that primarily Matthew is writing to Jews. His first audience would have been to Jews. And if I was to ask you a question uh, tonight, that whether you think you are saved by faith or works, I would think, resoundingly, you would all go, well, we know that. We've read the New Testament. It's really clear. We are saved by faith. And it's true. If you were expecting me to say anything else, it's true. And in the early church, one of the controversies that was around, certainly as Paul was preaching, where the Jews were feeling, well, what about all of our history? And about the law and, and about works. And I think Matthew, throughout his gospel, wants to remind those who are listening to him, primarily Jews initially, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises in the law. And Jesus was the one who fulfilled the law and was obedient to it. So if you might, and I'm taking liberty, if I was to ask Matthew, are we saved by faith or are we saved by work? He would say both, because we're saved by faith in the work of Christ. And that is true. We're saved by faith in the work of Christ. It's interesting, though, throughout church history, how quickly the church forgets about faith and grace. So evident in the New Testament, isn't it? You read the New Testament, how can you miss it? Yet, very early on in church history, they, they miss it. It all becomes about their works. It becomes religious again. And then we need a reformation. I know I'm jumping through history very quickly. 500 years since the Reformation, when Luther rediscovered and made that stand that we had got so lost as the church. And that was done deal then. We'd forgotten about it, hadn't we? No, no, it just keeps popping up again and again and again. John Wesley, one of the greatest followers of Jesus in this nation and a great missionary and had to rediscover for himself the faith of a child and not a slave. He didn't have that peace within him until that night on and then there was a, a certain May the 24th, 1738, when he had his heart, as he says, strangely warmed. What a wonderful phrase. He had his heart strangely warmed because he suddenly realized it was all about Jesus. It was a few hundred years ago. Of course, we've learned so. We, no. A few years ago, I read a book called What's So Amazing About Grace by an author called Philip Yancey. You may have remember that book. That book had a huge impact on the church. Why? Because the church had forgotten all about grace again. And he had to remind us that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Are you sure? Can we make God love us more? No, he says. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Oh, are you sure? That's who he is. That's who God is. But Matthew, when he addresses 
his gospel, you will see, if, you were, if we were to read the whole gospel in one sitting, and you're welcome to do that, the phrase that you'll find again and again and again that he uses is fulfilled, fulfilled, Jesus fulfilled. Even in the short passage that we read together, he says it three times, cites two Old Testament quotes, and there's another citation as well. Matthew would agree, and he wants his readers to know that it is because of faith placed in Jesus that we are saved. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Lord. And the other thing that comes right through Matthew's gospel is that he sees Jesus as the true and perfect Israel. Fulfilling. Walking in obedience. That's why he begins his gospel with that genealogy, the who's who of Jewish history, culminating in the birth of Jesus. He's saying the whole of the Old Testament points to Jesus. When Matthew talks in his sort of nativity narratives, there's no shepherds, no stable, no, no kind of lot of details. What he does include are quite unique details, the Magi. And this passage that we read, the escape into Egypt, where Mary and Joseph are refugees in Egypt because of the threat on Jesus' life. They're warned. And so they go to Egypt, as many Jews did. There was huge Jewish populations at the time of Jesus in Egypt. He quotes from the Old Testament through his gospel over 35 times, more than any of the other gospels. He uses the phrase, kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of God. Do you ever notice that when you read Matthew? He says, kingdom of heaven. Because he won't use God's name in that way, because He never has. It's the kingdom of heaven. As I said earlier, three times in that short passage we read, verse 15, 17, 23, two direct quotes from the Old Testament. He was saying, this is fulfilled. Matthew is also an evangelist, isn't he? He wants everyone who reads his gospel to be saved. He wants them to know that we're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our great high priest, we read that from Hebrews at the beginning. Our great high priest who was tempted in every way, just as we are. But he was without sin. Kept the law perfectly, the law of God kept it perfectly. The true perfect Israel. Matthew in his gospel reveals how Jesus' life, if you, if you kind of do a kind of walk through Matthew's gospel, you will see echoes of Israel's walk in the Old Testament. Except that Jesus walks the path perfectly where Israel had strayed. So from the genealogy, Jesus is the true seed of Abraham, the true Isaac, the blessing of all nations. Blessed in Christ. 
whose sons and daughters, all who believe in his name, John says, are given the right to become children of God and as numerous as the stars in the sky. Matthew's quite brief in his nativity, chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. No lot of detail, but Bethlehem. Where Jacob buried his beloved Rachel, who had died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. Bethlehem, where King David was born, Israel's greatest king, who had that promise from the Lord that his descendants would sit on the throne forever and ever. And who's the fulfillment of that? King Jesus. Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, fulfilling that prophecy of Micah 5, uh, verse 2. Out of you will come a ruler of Israel whose origin are from ancient times. And then that reference from Hosea that we read in the passage, out of Egypt I called my son. When you read that in Hosea, does your mind immediately go to Jesus or does it immediately go to the Exodus? And Matthew sees both, of course. Jesus, the perfect fulfillment. Israel called out. Matthew demonstrates that Jesus' short time as a refugee in Egypt is an enactment of the years that Israel spent in Egypt too. Remember how Israel find themselves in Egypt because of famine and Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his brothers, emerges and, and rises to prominence and, and saves his family. And Jacob and the family all come to Egypt and settle there and grow and multiply. And, and the years go by and... Joseph's forgotten, and then the harsh oppression comes of the Egypt authorities who feel that the Israelites are getting too numerous, and you know, they're going to overrun us, and they put them to slavery and hard labor. And then a deliverer is born. And Pharaoh wants to destroy all of the uh, male sons of Israel. And do you see the echoes, how Jesus fulfills that walk of Israel? Out of Egypt I called my son. The massacre of babies in Egypt, we have a reflection of that as Herod seeks to wipe out the boys under two that were born in Bethlehem at the time that he believed the Magi came looking. So Egypt... Jesus is called out of Egypt as Israel was. And then we're told in that brief narrative that Jesus is taken by his mother and father to Nazareth where he would grow up. And some would even say it's Jesus of Nazareth. That's where they thought he was from. He was born in Bethlehem. Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Matthew quotes that you can't find that quote in the Bible though. Go through any concordance. The one he says, and it says in the prophets, he would be called a Nazarene. You go look for that. You won't find it. I don't know what he's quoting. Whether it's an oral tradition, whatever, but he quotes it. Because he's going on this theme. Jesus is the fulfillment of. And as Jesus goes through his public ministry, the first thing he does is he's baptized in the river. He goes down into the river and again echoes of Israel coming through the river, through the sea, 
into where? The wilderness. Where for 40 years they wandered because of their sin. It could have been a three-week journey. Because of their sin and rebellion, they wandered for 40 years. A whole generation had to, <laughs> had to be dealt with. And Jesus is taken out, led by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. And he is tempted. But he overcomes. Echoes again. The perfect Israel. Matthew tells us that Jesus in Galilee went up to the mountain to deliver that wonderful sermon on the mount. And he has it in such detail. We don't know if it was one uh, talk that Jesus gave or many that Matthew uh, puts together. But he records that. Jesus climbing that mountain as it were. Reflecting again as Moses climbed the mountain to receive the law from the Lord. And Jesus, when he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he quotes, doesn't he, from the Old Testament again and again and again. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And he brings the fulfillment of the law, the true meaning of the law. Not just a tick list you can say, oh, well, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. Aren't I good? I'm in good standing with God. And he says, you've misunderstood the whole thing. Because we've all sinned, all fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need a savior. Jesus. And Jesus fulfills the law perfectly. Was without sin, yet tempted in every way. Now, it's true that Jesus had no time for man-made laws. The laws of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the scribes and teachers of the law of the day who just piled on more laws and more laws on top of people and forgotten entirely the grace of God. And it was all about earning and being good enough. And things like the Sabbath. And Jesus says... Who's the Sabbath made for? It's God's idea. Jesus himself said he hadn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I think as Matthew's early readers were reading it, those, those Jewish believers were just saying, yeah, we can be part of this. This is for us. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we've longed for. As the story portrayed in Matthew goes on, Jesus, on the night that was, he was betrayed, was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. When he took the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant. New agreement between heaven and earth. Now you can be saved through him. Echoes... A sacrifice, as they were remembering the blood of the Lamb that saved them on that night on the doorpost, the blood of the Lamb. 
within a few hours, Jesus' blood would be shed on the cross. That one true perfect sacrifice for forgiveness of sin that brings freedom and deliverance and eternal life as a gift to anyone. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, anybody, as Paul would rightly say. No, we can't save ourselves, we know that. No works that we could do could ever make us good enough. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, except Jesus, who never sinned and never fell short of the glory of God. And who did it all for us. So yes, as we walk out tonight, I hope we have that just reaffirmed assurance. We're saved by faith. We don't have to earn God's love or God's favor or his, because he's lavished it upon us in the finished work of Christ. What did Jesus cry from the cross? It's finished. Done. In the glorious resurrection, death couldn't hold Jesus. And he's raised to life. Firstborn over all creation. Raised to life. <coughs> affirming to us that we will live with him even though we die. In the resurrection, when he comes again, what we live for. Are we saved by faith or works? Matthew perhaps would say both. We're saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus, who is the perfect Israel. So this evening as we've worshipped, through the words of the songs, we've been reaffirming our faith giving thanks to the Lord for his love for us. We know that we are loved and saved. So there's no guilt in life and no fear in death. It's true, isn't it? We know it's true. But sometimes we just fall back a little bit. And we carry guilt that we shouldn't do. And we live in fear that we shouldn't do. And Jesus has paid for it all. And the best is yet to come when we see him face to face. So do, do read Matthew's gospel with fresh eyes again. See how he displays this glorious gospel that's so deep and wide and gloriously perfect and know that you are held and loved and saved through Christ. Amen. Let's pray together.